the VGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 703, recorded on November 20th, 703rd edition of the TV Gaming Podcast and 536th episode of Video Game Roundtable. I am TJ Denzer. I am Scott Dirk. I am Jonah Falcon. The VGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry. And um, you're probably listening to this on Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays, everybody. Enjoy. Happy holidays, everyone. So, um, TJ, what have you been playing? I finally cracked open City Skylines 2. Yay! We are, we have some I, news about that. <laughs> I had a dream about it, Jonah. Uh-huh. I uh, I had a dream of a city known as Smileyville, in which the entire zoning of and uh, and road work and buildings of the city, the central part of the city, anyways, form a giant smiley face. And if the discontent of Smileyville, okay, slowly um, demolish the edges of the smile and turn it into a frown. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> I just, I mean, it's the kind of game that allows that to work. So that's that's my current project. Okay then. Um, so you're you're finally playing City Skylines too. So yes. How do you do you notice the progression that's in that game is? I don't know if it's similar to the previous game, but I noticed that the progression really just handholds you in. And as you're hand, being handheld in, you start saying, oh, wait a minute. So that's what happened. Oh, let me restart knowing that that, that is a factor. Like, um, you don't know that wind is a factor until it tells you, hey, by the way, wind is a factor. You might want to deal with it. And, oh, uh, sewage and water are separate now. I'm going to have to deal with that now, too. And it just keeps adding on, like, oh, public transportation. But um, I, I made mine too dense the other time. Let me... Let me try again and make it make it so that it's more optimal for the town that I have. I think the thing that threw me off the most when I started right away is that you don't have to build power lines or pipes. No, you just have it's to just build- the, the streets. The streets have the power lines on them, yeah. The only thing you yeah. need to really build power lines for is to connect yourself to the outside world. Yeah, as long as you build your society, like your, as long as your society has at least one road of connection to like any uh, facility, it like goes to the whole city, which is like surprising to me. Yeah, the thing is that you also, the only thing you don't have to connect is the sewer out, sewage output outward pipe. You know, um, it feels kind of strange to have to build a road to to some utilities like building a road to the water pump that brings in the water. But it makes sense since people would have to go there anyway. But all you have to do is build a, like a one lane, uh, two lane dirt road that goes there and you're fine. (laughs) But yeah, not having to worry about electricity at all, that everything does it for you. It's a real plus. All you have to do is keep an eye on the percentage of, um, of uh, power being used. The other thing that kind of like, I was happy with right away. Building odd bendy roads is almost immediately more intuitive than it was in Cities One. 
Yeah, you have the four types. You have straight, then you have straight with a bend. You have bend, and then you have bendy bendy, in which it just keeps mm-hmm. on bending no matter what you do. Um, I also like the fact that when you're building roads, you can see where the uh, where the houses border is going to be, so you can you don't have to have that empty space anymore because you'll see exactly how far the zone will go on either side of the road. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with it so far. It's it is in many ways like all of the good ideas that came out of mods in the first game put together into this one. I had a, I'm playing on a laptop, so I was a little bit concerned that it was going to be too much at first. It was, like, stuttering a bit when it was set on high settings, on, like, default settings when I started. But I knocked it down to medium, and the game has been running pretty smooth ever since. Well, it keeps on running smoothly because they've had been having weekly updates to the, uh, and, um... I have it. I have it on my uh, on my computer, and it, I don't. I don't have an even new new graphic card. I just have 32 gigabytes of RAM now, and on the highest settings, it runs buttery smooth. So yeah, for me, I have I have 16 gigabytes of RAM. So um, I can't crank it at the max settings without losing some frames in a way that actually bothers me. But once but once I knocked it down just one tab, it worked pretty well. The other thing that threw me when I first started playing was that there was construction on the zones, but no one was in the zone, so nothing, no money was coming in. You have to wait for them to actually move in before you actually start making money off them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll if you see the crane work going, you're still not making money off of that, and in fact, it's costing you to build it. Yeah. And um, I also like the fact that all every single every single citizen has their own little routine, so you can follow them around. And if they have a pet, the pet has a name, and you can follow the pet around. Nice. Um, the other thing is that uh, now you have three classes of citizens: you have adults, you have teenagers, and you have children. And they all affect your city in different ways. Yeah, I, I haven't gotten too horribly far. I got to where I started to place. Uh medical care and uh, police facilities and fire facilities and in a graveyard. Um, so I've been building like the basic infrastructure. I think I finally, I think when I finally stopped, I had just unlocked uh, medium density residential. Yeah. It's um, when you unlock office buildings, that's when, when things get really complicated because uh, pretty soon you'll be doing dense, you know, the heavy density, residential buildings, and then come office buildings. Uh, so the thing is that I found um, the best way to increase the population of your city is just to slowly move towards denser and denser, denser and denser uh, residential, because uh, the the light density is for the rich, but there's also not many of them. So you want to start cramming in a lot of people in the in the middle as well. The only thing is they they keep on complaining it's loud, and I say yeah, it's loud. Even though there's no noise pollution, they still complain it's loud in the industrial district. So there's a lot of going on. Um, one of the things I like is um, you get a lot of money and you keep making money. It isn't until you start building something like a hospital that the, that you'll have a negative cash flow. So um, reserve building that hospital for much later. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait until I buy a second patch of land before I start building hospitals, because uh, that's something you can do relatively early, but uh, it's just a matter of timing. I will say this, though. Um, 
when I started building office buildings, I realized, oh shit, I'm running out of space for to build houses. People, I need more people, and there's not, and there's just so much density I can do. So I think once you start building office buildings, that's the cue. You better build, buy another plot of land so that you can start expanding. I've been, um, I've been sidetracked by other games. Though. I haven't played SimCity in, in like a week. So, Scott, what have you been, been playing? playing? Scott, what have you been playing? I've been playing Star Ocean Two. I've gotten, uh, see, so I've gotten the characters. Uh, uh, yeah, I just got uh, uh, Ashton. And I did his whole quest, doing the whole dragons on his back, and just been enjoying that game and leveling up and doing all the action. So it's a, it's, it's a fun game. Have you been playing Star Ocean 2, uh, TJ? Yes. What do you think of it compared to the original, Scott? They uh, they improved everything from the visuals, uh, having full audio. The I, I like I like the portraits are a lot better. Uh, they even have the, the, the mouths moving and they have like emotion. So they have different facial features, which is nice. And, uh, they show you bonding levels because your characters can bond. And I guess that'll affect the ending that you get and that the, mm-hmm. the private, uh, actions that you can do. And, uh, it's like everything has been improved. I, I think it, I, and they have all these guild quests and little, uh, like these uh, goals that you can get that'll give you rewards, which include uh, equipment and BP and SP points and, and money. And it's just like, in a lot of ways, this game just feels easier than the, the original. And there's so much to make. There's so much crafting. Uh, you, you can make jewelry, you can make weapons, you can make machinery. And just, it's, it's, so it's a whole process to explore. What have you been doing they, in the game, TJ? <laughs> they they really did make the the side jobs like the the all the skills that you can learn for crafting and stuff. They made them matter. I feel so much more in this game. Yeah, I feel like I never really used alchemy in the in the original, but like I you can you can use it to make accessories that give your characters like a lot of different bonuses. So I've been crafting my butt off, and uh, there's like. There's so many benefits that were probably in the real, the original game that I just never noticed that like you can see you can power level if you if you make a character strong in the training ability. Yeah. Um, I love that because like it kills the grind almost entirely if you do it right. You can get like if you put like about seven levels of training on a character and then run around in a field for maybe 30 minutes, you can get like a ton of levels out of that. It's crazy how fast you can level up and um, you know, you get your abilities and just, I don't know, it just it's just fun and satisfying. You know, it reminds me of um, 100 Heroes. Like the- Go, I was about to say that the game reminds me of 100 Heroes, which is coming out, in which you have these realistic 3D backgrounds and you have these yeah. almost 2D people running around on it. Yeah, it'll mm-hmm. be very similar. I've always been a huge fan of Star Ocean's music. And uh, they have both soundtracks, like they have an arranged new soundtrack, and then they have the original soundtrack. And I have really enjoyed going place to place and like going into the options menu and going back and forth between them and listening to each fo- version. But, yeah, like, that's neat. The to new do. soundtrack is awesome. I love it. I I think that Star Ocean Two has some of the best regular fight music that I've that I know of. But um, 
but it's also just been fun rehearing some of the more emotional tracks that are like in some of the cities and in some of the scenes. Yeah. Like I said, the voice acting helps and the, and, uh, having the portraits change and have reactions helps too get you more, uh, into the game. As for me, I started as, go ahead. Did you start as Claude or Rena? I started as Claude, but uh, I'll, I'll probably do a playthrough as Rena because there's uh, there's different characters you can get depending on which one you start as, and I think there's different private actions as well, so it'll probably affect the endings and uh, yeah, you know, just fun to explore that sort of thing. That really is cool. They have like their story mostly plays out the same, but like there are very distinct differences like you said there are some characters that won't join you unless you're claude or unless you're rena mm-hmm. and then there's a couple others where you choose one you can't get the other one so there's there's a couple like that as well so yep. either way there's a, a good replay value at least a second playthrough so you can get different characters and kind of have a different experience as for me i've just been playing starfield and that's about it i haven't been able to do much else you're playing. Are you playing on Xbox or PC? Both. Mostly on see, PC because I can. It's easier for me to record. Did you see that they uh, put out the DLSS support for it? Yes, today we talked PC? about it last week. <laughs> it was in beta last week, but now it's like fully released into the wild. Mm. Yeah, I, here's the thing: is that um, I'm able to play on Max, so we'll see. Um, what I really want to do is I want to get a new card so I can play Portal uh, with ray tracing. That ought to be fun. Yeah. I- I've seen what it looks like in in, uh, in ray traced, and I want to try it. I wonder if I can do uh, Minecraft uh, ray tracing PC, too. Check that out. Have you played uh, Minecraft uh, ray traced, uh, Scott? No, I play on Java, and Java doesn't have the ray tracing, but Windows 10 version does, so that's good. And and I, I just I like the shaders. They they seem to do the same thing. Anyways, uh, we're gonna move on to the game news, and uh, the first news item is City Skylines 2 DLC has been delayed, and weekly patches have come to an end. And this comes from PC Gamer. Uh, since City Skylines 2 shaky launch, Colossal Order has been releasing regular patches to improve performance and squash bugs, but the studio's attention is now turning to the issues that quote unquote require a bit more work. This means an end to the weekly patches, as well as postponing the DLC. The changes have been detailed today in the studio's blog, Word of the Week. While less frequent updates and delayed DLC isn't going to elicit much cheering from players, it sounds sensible regardless. The weekly patches tackled bugs and performance quirks that could be handled swiftly, but City Skylines 2's other problems require the team to dig into what's causing them a bit more than necessitating a changed cadence of updates. The game's mail service, Citizen... I haven't seen the mail service yet. I haven't gotten that deep in the game there yet. So there's mail in the game, too. Uh, Citizen pathfinding and issues with exports and distribution of goods are on the docket at the moment. Colossal Order also notices, notes its current broader priorities, which are, in order perf- which are in order performance improvements, bug fixes, and modding support. The City Skylines 2 editor still hasn't a, doesn't have a release date, though it's expected to take at least a couple of months to get it ready, according to earlier statements from the studio. At the moment, there's a beta group testing the map editor and providing feedback. Water placement is apparently a little too complicated right now, and the UI still needs a little more love. Yeah, by the way, um, I don't know if this is in the original uh, City Skylines, but uh, if you look at the water, it has water flow. And if there is something like an inlet or like a little quai or a little bay, um, it'll swirl in it. 
and apparently it's ca- it's calculating how water would would act in that sort of position. So you may have a you may have uh, water going upstream, but if there's a bay, it's going to pool in the bay. You know, the uh, pollution is going to pool in the bay because the water is going to stay in there, even if it, even if the uh, even if there's an upstream downstream to it. Uh, the plan DLC has been del- that the plan DLC that has been delayed is the asset pack, which was initially for quarter four 2023. It's going to be in the first quarter of 2024. Creator packs supposed to be in quarter one 2024. It's going to be in quarter two 2024 now, and the medium expansion will still be in the quarter 2024. So hopefully 2024 will be a better year for City Skylines too. And I've seen a lot of people complaining that they should have just delayed it, but um, financially that would have ruined them. They also, had- I don't think they needed to. Like, it, yes, there are performance issues, but like it's never been so bad that it it made me not want to play. And like the game is so deep anyway. It's like yeah, I keep on, I keep on. I keep on finding new layers to do. And the fact that there's like 40 little uh, overlay icons. <laughs> if, like, I think this is a good move by them to delay the DLC, because if 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 they want to keep working on the base game and make sure that it's, like, airtight by the time that they're ready for the DLC, cool. I'm okay with that. Because that means that there will be less things to fix when uh, the DLC comes out. Because you know that if there's like something that changes systems in that game, it'll pro- like the DLC might break something. Yeah. And if you zoom, here's the thing: if you zoom far in, the graphics are like elemental, you know. But you're never supposed to really stay that zoomed far, uh, zoomed far in, you know. Yeah. So. You're supposed to look at the grandscape of things, and it's nice to be able to get down in there and follow a citizen around. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I think that the game has been playing quite well for what I've had. <clears throat> and also, I've seen other, uh, go ahead. And I know plenty of people, yourself included, that have felt the same about it. just like it's not so bad that like it makes you want to stop. Also, um, there's one thing I forgot to add is that the accidents are realistic because accidents will happen because somebody did something like they crash. They crash, uh, they, they T-bone a car, and it, like, causes um, a little uh, traffic jam where the uh, – and that's the other thing is that um, learning how to distribute uh, uh, traffic so that it doesn't glom up in one area is, is becoming a challenge. Even with public transportation, there's still – cars will go the uh, shortest route, you know, and if you have a, a main thoroughfare – that's the only one thing I wish I could do easily is widen streets because if you don't, you have to de- you have to demolish zones. And it's funny whenever you um, have to demolish zones, it's like you see little uh, little I don't, not gravestones, but you know you they have to you're you're kicking people out and they have to go somewhere else because you're using eminent domain to you know just grab their prop grab their property. I like the. Do they still do? I haven't done it yet, but do they still? When you demolish like an area, do they still do the wave of like frowny faces across? No, the but they do. When they do like something, you see stars popping up. Nice. It's not. It's not frowny faces. It's um, little things with slashes through it. Like, yep, this this area has been condemned. Get out. You just kick That's people out. Yeah. But they 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 rebound quickly. They find more space. 
um, how, how are you liking the radio? And I don't mean the music. I mean the realistic way that sometimes the announcer will break in to tell you what's going on in the game. I think it's great. I think it adds more flavor to just how people are feeling in your city and what things people are, are, are complaining or, or cheering about. And it's a fun – it's another fun way to just, like, engage with it all and take in what's happening around you. I also like the tweets. Um, and not all not – all, it's less citizens complaining or talking about some, how great something is. I like it when businesses say, hey, we're open now, and they give you an address, and you go to that address. And every business has their own address based on the street they're on. Nice. Um, But yeah, um, I'm not too broken up about DLC being delayed because like also the game just came out. Who was like who was like chomping at the bit to play DLC so fast? uh, You'd be surprised. I'm sure. Gamers are by uh, you have to understand a lot of gamers are under the age of 20. And every time they it's like I can tell their brains haven't formed yet. It's been two whole weeks. Where's the DLC? Yeah. Or complaining about <laughs> Starfield or complaining about this or complaining about that. Complaining about Modern Warfare 3 and I can't really see what – here's the – you know the worst people who complain is? People who, who do uh, uh, what's it called online shooters, you know, or play shooters, you know, online. They complain about everything and they will never be happy ever. Ever. Yeah. doesn't no, matter what game it is. They – it could be the best game in the world. They'll 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 complain. I've seen all the conversations about skill based matchmaking and how uh, people get mad when they have to try. <laughs> there are a lot of people out there that are just like, I don't want to come home from work and and try hard against a bunch of sweaty teens. I want to just win against losers all the time. Well, here's the thing, you know, um, the best a- games. Here's the thing, the best games have had unranked and ranked and i don't know what happened to that you know just make unranked something that ranked people won't want to do because there's no way from the grind in it you know it's like yeah oh. i don't think you, i don't think you have that in uh call of duty anymore it's just have, straight have up like unranked and you know and just say well you're not going to win anything here so you might as well not even try uh, because there's no incentive for the experts to go into a game full of noobs because they're going to get nothing out of it except maybe to get their rocks off, hit, uh, killing them quickly. But that's about it. There's not going to be any reward for it. Mm-hmm. I would love it if um, someone who's ranked went into an unranked match and won. That the congratulations message say, oh, congrats for beating these people. Now go back to ranked and play some real players. It only shows on their screen. <laughs> um, I'm going to take the next news item because there's a lot of things in here which just – Piqued my interest. Warner Brothers says Wonder Woman won't be a live service game. And this also comes to us from PC Gamer. Last week, a job listing for lead software engineer on Monolith's Wonder Woman game popped up with requirements like knowledge of 3D math commonly used in game development and prior experience working in a 3D game engine like Unreal, Unity, etc. Among the non-essential nice-to-haves is experience helping maintain a live software product or game. This was interpreted by WCCF Tech as confirmation that Wonder Woman will be a live-service game, complete with battle pass, seasonal updates, and all the other hallmarks of the genre. There's a certain amount of precedent in that market, after all, and the CEO of Warner Brothers, David Zaslav, said that the company wants to transform franchises like Superman into live-service games. As depressing visions of daily missions to level up an invisible jet and unluckable cosmetic tiaras dance in our heads, Warner Brothers responded with a statement to IGN denying it was making Wonder Woman a live-service game. 
They said Wonder Woman is a single-player action-adventure game set in a dynamic open world. This third-person experience will allow players to become Diana of Themyscira and introduce an original story set in the DC Universe while also featuring the Nemesis system. Wonder Woman is not being designed as a live service, the statement said. Okay, I want to I I parse this for a moment. One, there's a Wonder Woman game coming? This is the first I've heard of this, actually. Two, Monolith is developing it? As in Middle-Earth, Shadow of Mordor, and Shadow of War Monolith? And three, the Nemesis system is coming back? Now, keep in mind, yes. Monolith owns the rights to the Nemesis system, which kind of pisses me off, because I'd like more games to be able to do the Nemesis system. Um, you still haven't played Middle-Earth, Shadow of anything, right? The Nemesis system is what makes that game sing. It is so awesome. And it's going to be interesting to see how you're going to how you're going to incorporate that in the DC universe. Because one thing DC has, you know, set villains. The Nemesis system takes random orcs and turns them into captains. So I'm wondering how the Nemesis system is going to work here. Is it going to take normal thugs and turn them into supervillains, or is it going to take supervillains and have them change depending on how you beat them? You know, and have them evolve. You know, if you beat them this way, they'll evolve not to do that. And they will talk about it. But once I saw Nemesis System, I said, yes, I'm all in. Keep in mind, Monolith took Batman and Spider-Man and all those other open world games and Assassin's Creed and said, hold my beer and just made a perfect game with Shadow of War. Shadow of Mordor was sort of like them experimenting. But Shadow of War is a perfect game. I can find nothing wrong with it. Absolutely nothing. It's going to be interesting. a perfect 10? Yeah, definitely. It's a perfect 11 out of 10. Nice. There is nothing wrong with it. And anybody who hasn't played it hasn't played video games. I'm sorry, okay? I'll get there. <laughs> you haven't played Tunic yet, so... You could play I have Tunic. played Tunic. I did make it to Tunic. Okay. <laughs> took you a long while. I know. It took you a while to get to City Skylines, too. Although not that long, what, two weeks maybe? I don't know. Yeah, the only thing keeping me out of City Skylines 2 was other reviews, and once I cleared those things off, I, went, I beelined for it. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, was, I wasn't I was too worried about City Skylines when I first started playing it. I noticed that uh, on launch, it was a little janky, and I had to go down to medium, but um, I think even if I didn't go to 32 gigabytes of RAM, it would have been smoother because they kept the... It felt... When I got back in, it felt like there was little changes to the engine that made it go a little faster. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see how Monolith does this. Because Monolith has very few losses. I think the only really bad game that they made was Contract Jack. And that was only because it was a sequel to two really good games, No One Lives Forever and No One Lives Forever 2. Uh, they did Tron 2.0. It was fantastic. They, they, they know what they're doing. And... Here's the thing. They made a really, really good game of the Middle-Earth series. And when you think about middle, uh, middle the Gollum game, you know, you can see how much, how well they did it. But the Gollum game did terrible. Yeah, it's... And I had hopes for it because in my mind it was going to be, oh, Middle-Earth, except from the... Uh, Middle-Earth Shadow of War, except from the perspective of Gollum, which is what we got, sort of, kind of. But then... The realization was that Gollum doesn't make for a good protagonist. There's not really much to his story. No, there really isn't. I mean, I, I've 
figured that we already knew his story and saw the end of it in the uh, the trilogy. You know, at some at some point, I'm going to do a video about Rings of Power and how since Monolith was extremely respectful of the uh, of Tolkien's work and knew it backwards and forwards, how you can make your own changes and still have it really, really work within the context of it. And unlike Rings of Power, which doesn't know anything about about um, about Tolkien's universe and just knows names on a map and names from characters, and that's it. You know, uh, Shadow of uh, Shadow of War. Um, did a radical thing with Shelob, you know, and it worked because they knew the Tolkien history. Well, they said, well, you know, uh, since Shelob's mother was Ungoliant, uh, we're going to make it so that she's a shadow creature. She does turn into a spider, but she can also turn into a woman because she's able to, because she's the daughter of Ungoliant. And that also makes sense in how she was able to communicate with Gollum. And uh, that brings up the creature. Well, if she was like this, then why did she just try to attack Sam and and, uh, and Frodo while she was a spider? And the answer is that you know she was making sure that they hurried to Mount Doom and forced them to move forward when they were starting to fail. And everything about it, you know, all the things that they invented and all the history that they meddled with, they did it in a way that made sense, so that it might be an alternate version of Middle Earth. They, they certainly knew more about it than the people that they were doing a licensed version of, Peter Jackson. So, but anyways, getting back to Wonder Woman, I'm all I'd love to see how Monolith tackles the DC universe. Yeah, and like there hasn't been like we, ha- we, we the long and good string of DC games that we have with like Arkham games and all that are years behind us and I would like to see those characters appear in a, a good game. <laughs> um, I would like to notice know. that companies now are saying if there's a, if people are accusing, Oh, this is going to be a live service game. They're saying, no, 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 no. It's not a live service game. We promise it's not a live. It's like they got the message that if you say, if they don't want live, people don't want live service games. Well, and the second, be co- oh, go ahead. No, no, no go ahead. I was gonna say, and they have to be cautious after the, all of the all of the flack they took for the possibility that Suicide Squad killed the Justice League is looking a lot like a live service game. Uh, what's funny is it's looking a lot less like a live service game, which is why it's taking so long. I've seen some of the action from it, and it looks like um, they've been changing certain things, and it's actually looking better now. I don't think it's going to be as live service as they threatened it to be. By the way. Middle Earth: Shadow of War was a live service game when it first started. They uh, they they um, patched it out like a, two years after the game, but it was ne- I never had to pay for anything. I never felt like I was um, like I was forced to do anything. Right? All they did was have these these things which you could buy with in-game gold, which wasn't hard to get, which wasn't hard to get, and you didn't have to pay for it. So, but they removed it. Um, so I, I, I seriously doubt they're going to do the same thing here that they initially did with Shadow of War. And uh, why why mess with success? Again, I'd like to see what they do with the DC Universe. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's as you said, Monolith being attached to this in the first place is, is even greater cause to, like, be interested in it. 
If it was like any, if it was any other studio studio handling a DC property, I'd be like, okay, we'll see what happens. I mean, Monolith in particular, I think everybody is ready to see their next big thing. I mean, look at Tron 2.0 and what Disney did with Tron Legacy. It's like night and day. Tron 2.0, new Tron. It, new Tron, you know, a new Tron. It Monolith understood Tron. Disney did not understand Tron. <laughs> Which is why there's a lot more love for Tron 2.0, and it's getting a bigger and bigger audience, you know, every successive year. It's it's amazing how people discover uh, discover great games as they go along. You know, it makes me laugh because people are acting like Starfield of Disaster. Yeah, well, so was No Man's Sky, so was Cyberpunk, so was a lot of other games, and all of a sudden they're the best games ever. So, you know, too much fickleness. Yeah, I can't wait for uh, can't wait for this because it's Monolith and it's the Nemesis system. Anyways, moving on to the next item. Go ahead, TJ. Knights of the Old Republic remake reportedly not in active development. The fate of Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic remake is once again up in the air after a new report that the game is not currently be wor- being worked on at developer Saber Interactive. Development of the KOTOR remake has been rocky since it was first announced, and last week Lars Wingefors, CEO of Sabre Interactive Owner Embracer Group, refused to comment on the state of the game during an earnings presentation. In response to this, Giant Bomb's Jeff Grubb has stated that the game is not being worked on right now, according to sources close to the project. Quote, full stop, this game is not being worked on in any way at any studio. Referring to, to Sony scrubbing KOTOR remake trailers from the internet in early September 2023, which the company said was due to my music licenses expiring. Which is a lie. Grub, <laughs> Grub said that those who've been eagerly wait, awaiting updates on the game are probably not surprised. Quote, just to 100% confirm it, this game is not being worked on right now. In July 2022, it was reported that KOTOR Remake was de- delayed in- indefinitely after initial developer Asper, who was also owned by Embracer, fired the game's art director and design director. The following month, Asper was removed from the project entirely. Development was expected to be handled by one of Saber Interactive's Eastern European studios instead. This update on the game's development is not what fans who were eagerly awaiting the game would like to hear, of course. But it's logical, but it's a logical conclusion given Sony's attempts to scrub it off the internet and Embracer's refusal to comment on its existence. Regardless of what this means, it's simply shelved for now or has been outright cancelled. One thing is, is for certain. The KOTOR remake isn't coming anytime soon. I feel like this is a particularly like it feels like deja vu over uh, blood uh, over uh, vampire the masquerade 2 like where e people in the original product and lineup were were removed and this thing is moving from studio to studio now and now it's just like we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah i here's the thing i am not that broken up about this to tell you the truth I like I, I, I'm getting hungrier for new games. I think it's Hi-Fi Rush that's done that to me. It's sort of like I want new IPs. I, I just do. I'd rather see a, a KOTOR 3, even if it's just a sequel. I'm kind of sick of those two. But 
I already played Kotor. I already played it. If anything, you know what? If you're gonna if you're gonna do something, fix Kotor two. <laughs> yeah. Fix Kotor two. It's it's like you know. And by the way, speaking of of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines two, started news being trickled out for it. You know, sort of like um, it's now announced for 2024. Because remember that there is a new uh, a developer for it. Chinese room and I you know what here's the thing I trust the Chinese room they've done a lot of good shit yeah there's been like two to three years suddenly KOTOR news comes out of the woodwork with like a new developer that we trust and like suddenly everything is back on track it will have gone full full circle it will have performed the full Vampire the Masquerade 2 <laughs> I wonder how much of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 has changed though it's it's not like the original developer was a hack either. Yeah. Yeah. The the creative director by, behind the original was kind of an auteur, wasn't he? Yeah. And they also were huge fans of the game. Not that that's going to ensure a good game, but at least they knew the lore. But the Chinese room is very good. Thinking, I mean, am he, I wrong in thinking that the original creative designer of uh, the the first Vampire the Masquerade also Trico. had a hand? Well, I was thinking, didn't the creative director also have a hand in designing the board game or something? I don't know. What's interesting is the Chinese Room did a an amnesia game, one amnesia mm-hmm. game. So I wonder if, and they're also famously known for doing walking simulators. So if anything, we know that they're going to have great characterization. Um, it's the action that we have to wonder about. And again, you know, Bloodlines 2, uh, the original Bloodlines, the action sucked. The combat was awful. Just awful. It's one of those games I unabashedly just play on God mode because I can't stand the action. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see how things have turned out for that game. Like, it, it, for I, I thought for sure it would be canceled after everything that happened, but here it is. It's in development, uh, it's, and it's in development with a good crew. Well, here's the thing. It's Paradox Interactive, and Paradox Interactive is not a bad publisher. They know how to do stuff. So whatever issues they had with the original developer um, were probably good ones. You know, It could be that the original developer had a lot of good ideas but were not able to po- follow through on it, and they just had to be kicked out and get someone new take over. It happens that way. Yeah, and to a certain extent, like you can say what you want about Asper and, uh, and Saber Interactive, but a large portion of what is going on at Embracer. Yeah. Earlier this year, a, a $2 billion deal fell through for them and it flipped the company on its head, which is why a lot of things, uh, there's been a lot of layoffs there, especially among uh, the gaming industry. Like, I don't think that Volition deserved to die for for that mistake. I don't believe that some of these other studios deserve to die for that mistake. But you can't deny that like that problem has been hitting just about everything that Embracer Embracer controls. And it makes me worried for some of the I mean, I loved Volition. I also love Hamamont Games who put out Jag Alliance 3 this year who are under THQ Nordic, which is under Embracer. I worry about groups like that surviving in all of this. So the other thing that concerns me is that um, Asper basically does ports. Mm-hmm. 
That's all they really do. They their last game was a uh, port of uh, Civ Seven, a uh, six. I mean Civ Six. Um, and they're working which, on the what? Which I was gonna say makes me think that like this project originally began as just a port of the original to new systems, and then they realized no, we can't just do a one to one port of this. We have to brush it up a bit. Well, here's the thing. They also their their most recent game besides the Tomb Raider uh, trilogy, which is coming out. The, mo- the last thing they did was. Star Wars Knights of the Republic 2 on the Nintendo Switch. So at least they're familiar with KOTOR. Mm-hmm. They also really, uh, they also ported uh, KOTOR to the Switch as well. So see how everything just, just, just you know, works together there? Yeah. I really do hope the... I hope that we see the project someday. I hope that it comes to light in a way that... At the very least, I'd kind of like to see a documentary or a behind-the-scenes on what happened oh, Lord. here. Okay, Scott, take over for the next one, talking about open-world action games. All right, then. (coughs) Okay, uh, no, that's the last one. Insomniac's Wolverine reportedly due 2025. Insomniac's game takes on the Wolverine is reportedly set to release in 2025 as a PlayStation 5 exclusive. That, according to Internet tipster Daniel RPK, who is perhaps best known for the scoops on Marvel TV shows and movies. Daniel RPK said the upcoming Wolverine game will be, perhaps unsurprisingly, a much darker and more violent game than the studio's Spider-Man titles. Additionally, the tipster has said it will feature Madripoor, Marvel's fictional island often associated with X-Men stories, which popped up in the MCU relatively recently in the Falcon and Winter Soldier TV series. Daniel RPK's recent Wolverine report ties and previous suggestions from the ever-leaky Jeff Grubb. Earlier this year, Grubb stated Insomniac's Wolverine had two potential release windows. One was for the soon as next year, before Grubb added Insomniac was still very much talking about 2025 internally. Grubb additionally said that the upcoming release will focus on Wolverine's journey before he joins the X-Men, stating the game is aiming for a hard R or M rated tone. Yeah, because he... Oh, yeah. As the studios itself, Insomniac is currently celebrating the launch of Marvel's Spider-Man 2, which has sold in excess of 5 million copies since its release last month. Serial, sorry, several members of the Spider-Man uh, 2 team uh, have since started working on Wolverine, while the developer has also teased the kind of spin-off they may be on the cards for the web to sequel. Here's the thing about open-world games like this. And traversal is very important. You know, you have Batman gliding. You have Spider-Man web swinging. But what is Wolverine going to do? Or is he just going to ride in the wolfmobile? He doesn't have a wolfmobile. He'll just run around. You have to invent the wolfmobile. <laughs> I guess. I, I think he'll just run. And but uh, that, that's terrible because it, suppose you want to run from one end of uh, – are you going to run from one end of Gotham Maybe City to like the other? Yeah, he'll just steal a car. That's true, but then again, that is a Wolfmobile since he's driving it. Anyways. Trying to make Wolfmobile be a thing now? <laughs> and I don't know why it's a surprise it would be a PlayStation 5 exclusive. Doesn't Sony own Insomniac Games? Yeah, I guess it would then. And they own the, uh, they still own the, uh, the X-Men, this rights the X-Men, uh, at least in video games. I think movies too. I'm not sure what's going on with the licensing rights. I know that Sony for a long time owned the rights to Spider-Man. 
Yeah, I think they did own X-Men because X-Men never showed up for any of the other Marvel yeah. stuff. They were isolated. Oh, so that's right. Like, that's why they had to have the uh, – the. Uh, oh, God, what's the name of that stupid group? The Infernal? The, Inter- the Eternals. Yeah, it was uh, – yeah, and, and Brian Reynolds could only use a couple of the uh, X-Men that weren't really yeah, popular. He, to, or, you know, <laughs> he was Deadpool with, with his mouth maybe, sewn shut. <laughs> maybe one of the most egregious – issues with the X-Men license is that Marvel versus Capcom Infinite took place after uh, Disney had bought Marvel and yeah, Disney the and, missed. and Disney and Sony could not come to terms on the X-Men license, which is why there's no X-Men in Marvel versus Capcom Infinite, which, yeah. is, why everybody, which is a big part of why everybody hates that game. Uh, here's a th- two things about that. Uh, I feel sorry for the lead developer because he had to come up with bullshit reasons that he knew were bullshit. You know that uh, well, they they have the same moves as the other character, so you will miss them. Of course, you'll miss them. They're the character. That's a big part of it. And the sad part is, from what I understand, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite has the best gameplay of any of the Marvel vs. Capcom games and the best game that's systems. Yeah, that's widely agreed upon. Those mechanics are some of the best in the series, and just it did it never caught. It never got over the funk of not having Wolverine or Gambit in the game, which are a lot or of Magneto. people's favorite characters. Or, or excuse me, yeah. or Galactus, because they couldn't use the Fantastic Four either. Uh, and uh, Cyclops, like a, a lot of people loved playing Cyclops in those games. If anybody um, ever loved Cyclops was in the games. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No doubt. <laughs> and, uh, like, you take all those characters that people have been playing for years out, and it's suddenly it's just not... I mean... And the honestly, roster wasn't exactly big on launch either, just so you know. Yeah. If, uh, if you gave me a Street Fighter game, but you, like, took out, I think, uh, Cammy altogether, I don't think I'd want to play it. Because I usually start there... And then I start labbing out from from her. But like and that's the thing that a lot of people felt about Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. Oh, my characters are never going to appear in this game. I guess I just will skip this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, say you had a um, they had a Street Fighter game and there's no Kami, there's no Zangief, there's no uh, Blanca and there's no M. Bison and there's no Chun-Li. But they have substitutes that have the same moves. Mm hmm. Are you going to care? Yeah, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, I'm going to care. <laughs> that An interesting case for that is Street Fighter 3, in which that kind of happens with uh, Remy being uh, the stand-in for Guile and uh, 12 being the stand-in for Delzim. And everybody agrees, these characters do not play as well as their Street Fighter count- uh, as their original counterpart. But here's the thing. Those weren't, those weren't because they couldn't access them. They just decided they wanted to try something new with those characters. It wasn't, it wasn't Ryu, you know, it wasn't, uh, I'm just, I'm just saying that's an interesting case of, of kind of what you're talking about with swap out characters. Um, although funny enough, people like Hugo from street fighter three way more than they like Zangief. Yeah. And street fighter three has finally gotten the recognition. It's, it's, it's deserved for being Mm -hmm. the game that it was. And now we're starting to see those characters show up in other Street Fighter games, which I think is brilliant and fun. Getting back to uh, getting back to this game, I can see it working. Um, I mean, there is a stealth element. To, there's more of a stealth element to Wolverine than there is Spider-Man. 
Because I stealth in the Spider-Man games never felt good. For one thing, they came in waves, so no matter how sneaky you were, they were just going to pop up and, and do it anyway. And also, Spider-Man is wearing red and black. <sighs> He's not Batman. Batman is wearing dark, muted colors so he can hide in the shadows. There's one thing about Spider-Man you can never say in that he hides in the shadows. He is like a he's like a police siren, just alternating red, black, red, black, red, black. <laughs> Let me ask you this: mm-hmm. Do you believe in a Marvel or do you believe in Insomniac Games' ability to uh, make a good, violent, edgy game without making it cringy or bad? I don't know. If if you if you ask me about uh, that with Monolith, I would have said yeah, sure, because that's what they did with Middle Earth. They were the first M-rated. Uh, Middle Earth games. Um, but I don't know. I feel like a lot of people, I feel like st- they've been chasing the high of like good violence that, that Raven software built when they did the movie spinoff of X-Men origins Wolverine. Like that game had no business being as good as it was because that movie was garbage. <laughs> And it ended up being probably one of the most beloved movie spinoff games of all time. Yeah. And now Microsoft owns Rat- uh, Spyro the Dragon. <laughs> sure do. What if they're ever going to do a new Ratchet and Clank, or are they just going to do Spider-Man games from now on? Funny enough, Spyro the Dragon originally developed by Insomniac Games. That's what I said. I just said that. <laughs> oh, I said, now Microsoft owns one of their properties. Uh, but right, I wonder okay. if they're I ever going to do another Ratchet and Clank game. I th- what was the last game? I think it was that reboot, which just... Oh, Rift Apart. That's right. Yeah. Rift Apart was two years ago, and it was meh. A lot last, of people love that game. Yeah, the last two Ratchet and Clank games were pretty meh. The Ratchet I mean, and Clank... The 2016 Ratchet and Clank reboot was not very good because they were trying to do a tie-in to the movie, and the movie just bombed. My opinion on games like Ratchet & Clank is that they've always been more about showcasing the technology than they've been about actually being perfect games. Like, I feel about the Ratchet & Clank games the same way I feel about Gran Turismo or Forza, where, like, that's where you go to see the best of what the PlayStation 5 can do with its graphics technology. And I feel like a lot of people would agree because, like, the game won plenty of awards for its graphics and art. Well, let me let me make this sure. Um, from twenty twenty, from two thousand two to two thousand five, in four years there were five Ratchet and Clank games. From two thousand seven to two thousand nine, in three years there were five Ratchet and Clank games. From twenty eleven to twenty thirteen, in a three year period. There were five Ratchet and Clank games. From 2014 to 2021, in nine years, or no, sorry, eight years, there were two Ratchet and Clank games. So you can see they haven't really been doing Ratchet and Clank anymore. Yeah. It was kind of. It it was it, it was a launch title for the PS5 like the the last one was so like I uh, always it was the PS4 like, was that wasn't wasn't the PS4 no, oh no it was last it was time PS5. yeah the, the no it was a launch title for the PS4 and it was a launch title for the PS5 but that's it 
It's really? I guess it's just now a launch part. It's just a launch title now. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Is that like it has been relegated to the sense like we'll we'll bring this series back up when it's time for PS6. That's not going to be good news for Ratchet and Clank fans. Yeah, I know, but them's the breaks. I guess. But are you looking forward to a Wolverine game? Or at least this particular Wolverine game. If they're trying to get to X-Men Origins Wolverine quality, I'm 1,000% in. (laughs) I want to see if they can get there. If they can, that would be delightful. If they can't, I'm going to be real disappointed. I think people have had their fill of Spider-Man. I think that's why they're just going to move on to the next next, uh, Sony-owned Marvel character. I wonder if they're like gonna go through all of them and eventually hit the bottom of the barrel where we get more the Morbius game. Oh, how about this? Imagine, imagine a thing game played like the those old uh, open world Incredible Hulk games. That would be kind of fun though. I would be interested at least sitting down and playing a demo of that and seeing if it catches me. Actually, you know, the other thing about it, you can have a Fantastic Four game and. Um, you can, you can, what's it called, decide which character to use on a mission. I mean, if you do Sue Storm, you're doing stealth. If you're doing, you know, if you're doing, actually, you can divide them into two. Like, uh, you have Sue and Mr. Fantastic, or you can have uh, Johnny Blaze and the thing. So either do the stealth, you do either do stealth or just open, you know, open combat. It would also be pretty fun if they did it like Grand Theft Auto V, where you switch between the characters dealing with different problems in the city or something. Yeah, and... They're not scumbags. Yeah. You catch up to Johnny Blaze just like in the middle of flight on fire chasing after goons or something. It'll be interesting. You know, there's a lot to do there, but um, now that I think about it, um, you're going to have a lot. Wait, it's Professor X. He's not in the uh, he's never he's not in the uh, Disney Marvel movies, is he? So you can have a lot of. These mutants that, you know, are very underseen right now, you know, interacting with Wolverine. He's never been seen in the movies, but they mention Xavier Academy all the time. Yeah. Like, he's in the universe, but he's just never been, like, on screen. So, also, I think that's why he's also doing, they're focusing on Wolverine before he joined the X-Men, so I didn't have to deal with that mess. Which basically tells me, well, you have to have Sabretooth. You have to have Sabretooth because of they, course. Yeah. And you have to have certain other characters that, you know, if you're going to do it before joining the X-Men. So For my money, there is no better fights in the X-Men universe than those between Wolverine and Omega Red. Oh, okay. I want to see Omega Red make an appearance somewhere in that game. Oh, you know, I just realized you'd have to have Deadpool in this game as well because he was part of that uh, that that is secret, you know, that, those experiments too. Mm-hmm. I, I thought there was a Deadpool Wolverine movie coming. There was a Deadpool mo- uh, Wolverine movie that came out it was really bad with really bad visual effects, and Deadpool was um, had his mouth sewn up so he couldn't talk, and all he had was eye beams, and it was Ryan Reynolds too, and. A lot of people suspect that that was sort of them punishing Ryan Reynolds for being an asshole. <laughs> okay, you can be Deadpool, but guess what? You're going to have your mouth taped up and you won't be able to speak? 
as Deadpool. It's interesting. Yeah. So it's going to be wild to see what this game brings us. Like, I, I want to see the villain, I want to see the scope, and I want to see a little bit of a action. And now that I think about it, you know what? You're going to have uh, Wonder Woman coming out around the same time as uh, Wolverine. Although, didn't they say the Wolf- Wonder Woman game is going to be coming on 2024? No, it has to be. It, it's probably going to come in 2025 as well. Yeah. If they did say that, then they probably pushed it back because of all the work they've been to- doing to make sure that... Uh, well, I guess that has nothing to do with Monolith, so never mind. I'm just but saying, like, uh, I'm more, much more interested in Wonder Woman because Nemesis system. For sure. And you've got to play Middle Earth at some point. If Yes. Now that I know that there's going to be another game that's using it, I really do. It is... The thing is that, you know, I tried replaying Shadow of War, and that had... I mean, not Shadow of War, I mean uh, Shadow of Mordor. And it has dated itself a little bit, but I'm wondering if it's because I've played Shadow of War, and Shadow of War outclasses it in every way, so I'm wondering if it's diminished because Shadow of War is so much better than Shadow of Mordor. So here's a question. Can I skip Shadow of Mordor and just go right to war? Yeah, but... Ah, there's so much good story in Shadow of Mordor 2. I th- I personally think that, yeah, you know what you could do is you could just watch Let's Play videos of Shadow of Mordor and then play Shadow of War. Yeah. Because the ending of Shadow of Mordor is so good when he, he just declares. I don't want to spoil it, even though it's an eight-year-old <laughs> game. It's a very old game. I wouldn't be mad. It's an eight-year-old game when he... When when uh, Talion decides it's time for a new ring. Wow. And he and, and Kel <laughs> Brimbor a- forge a new ring. A new <laughs> ring of power to fight the one ring. <laughs> that is a bit of a wild twist, actually. The thing is that also Shadow of Mordor, um, you're pro- uh, the, I'm pretty sure the only one that's available now is the Game of the Year edition, which has all the DLC a lot of it has some stuff that's foreshadowing in Shadow of War because, God, the game is so deep in its story. And it's like anybody who's familiar with Tolkien, when he says it's time for a new ring, would think, wait a minute, that's a bad idea. And I'm not going to spoil Shadow of War, so I won't say if it's a bad thing or not. But the... Here's one of the real underrated things about video games these days is the acting, right? And people don't understand how great the acting is in Starfield. I mean, the the writing and dialogue in Starfield is magnificent. Same with Shadow of War. If you're a Tolkien fan, you'll say, well, this is a bit of deviation from the lore, but it's an intelligent deviation because they're doing it, you know, to make a better game, but it's not anything that will insult your intelligence. And it's just... You know, and Gollum appears in both games, and he he's memorable in both. It's like, I say watch a Let's Play of Shadow of Mordor, but that would mean that you'd probably skip doing the DLC, and the DLC is really good. And the DLC tells real stories in the... It's, it's like the anti-Resident Evil, in which a lot of the DLC stories just ruin the story. <laughs> so, I... If you don't have the time, watch the Let's Plays of Shadow of Mordor. Um, 
The other thing I will say about both games is that the progression is perfect. You know a lot of games in which it's just like, oh, yeah, plus 2% on this and that. No. The Shadow games, when you gain a skill, it affects the game because it gives you a new ability that's unique to everything else. And it allows you to change your strategy. And that is so good, you know? It takes everything that Batman Arkham Asylum and what the original Assassin's Creed did, and it just melds them together into a happy baby and just is just incredible. So if you want to skip ahead to Shadow of War, go ahead, but make sure that you watch the stories, because even though it brings you up to speed, it, it, I, I feel like if you play Shadow of War without, playing, without knowing anything about the original game, it's sort of like you're missing a lot of lore and, and, and just great storytelling. Because what I would say is, well, if you really need, if you don't, what you might do is just play Shadow of Mordor on the easiest difficulty and just breeze through it and just enjoy the story. I can't, I love the story in Shadow of War, but I never lower the difficulty because it is, I just, you know, I don't need to. And it's just, uh, it's like reading a good book, you know, it's like the re- the reason why I play Grim Fandango every so often, it's just reading a good book, you know, I just delve into the story if i play mass effect i play on the easiest level because i already beat the game left and right and now i just want to enjoy the story shadow of war is one of the rare things in which i i love the story but i also love the challenge too interesting so like i i can just straight up like watch some some synopsis of the first game and then i can jump into the second game i really just and the second game's two DLC as Baranor and as Eltariel are really good. As a matter of fact, if you play it, uh, the Eltariel DLC, it is like a stab to your fucking heart. Mm. Because there is a betrayal there that is so affecting, especially if you play through the if you play through the main campaign and then you play the Eltariel DLC, it's sort of like, oh god. And then the Baranor you know the Baronor expansion just turns everything into Batman, <laughs> and it is such a it is such a twist. It's like everything's dark and serious and, and depressing. Then you play the Baronor DLC, and it's sort of like, yeah, we're gonna have fun with this now. <laughs> we're gonna have fun with this, and now you're Batman. <laughs> and it's not That's an accident. The, the developers actually said, yeah, we made him more like Batman Arkham Asylum. <laughs> like I said, the um. The uh, the the uh, Shadow of War with all the DLC in it is now like what fifteen bucks now, so there's no reason not to get all of it and just play all of it. And it is, I will say, like they included a double jump in the sequel, and the double jump I cannot go back from. When I play the first game, it's like oh, geez, I wish I could double jump here. I want to double jump, but it's not letting me because it's not in the game yet. You have to wait for the sequel for the double jump. I okay. I make this solemn vow to you. I will play Shadow of War yeah. before Wonder Woman comes out. Like I said, um, I will say this also: the combat in the game is so good. Well, it's it. You'll it, here's the thing: you'll instantly get into it because oh, this is Batman Arkham Asylum. You know, uh, uh, X to attack, Y to to counter, B to stun, this this, and then. You just do more than what Batman can do, and then you have all these abilities. It's sort of like, and you never feel overwhelmed by it, ever. 
because here's the thing. When you're playing that game, um, there can be hundreds of orcs around you, and you have to deal with all of them. <laughs> and you will be able to deal with all of them. <laughs> nice. I do love a good combo heavy game. If it's close to like, if it's really as good as oh, you'll have so many options. You can do games. Then. You can fling daggers. You can do a, a a what is basically a ground pound. But what it does is it either stuns everybody or sets everybody on fire or freezes everybody or poisons everybody. Depending on each ability that you have, you have three options within that. You know, like that magic pound into the ground. You can either have it so that. All it does is stun people, or you can have it, it all freezes everybody, or you can have it, it all poisons everybody, or you can have it, it all sets everybody on fire. And then the nemesis, oh god, it's like, you meet these nemesis, you can, if you don't figure out anything of what their weaknesses or strengths are, they can, it can be a nasty shock. One of the worst is the humiliator, and you'd think it wouldn't bother you. Because what the humiliator does, if he has a killing blow, he'll just look at you and say, yeah, I don't want to deal with you. Bye. And walks off. Even though he could have killed you, he walks off. And though you should be grateful that he didn't kill you, it's sort of like, asshole. (laughs) It makes you mad. And then there's really annoying people who have death defying in which you think you defeated him and say, no, 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 I'm just bolts up and says, you know, we're going to, we're going to, now we're going to fight. And one of the things that's really great about the nemesis system is that everything you do, they will acknowledge. Like, um, if you're writing a Karagor, he will say, what are you doing writing on that Karagor? Come face me. Or if you got off the Karagor and then ran to him and he says, ah, you got off your Karagor and you're running to me. They will acknowledge everything you do. It's like the game reads your mind. It is just such an experience to play. And um, I will say this, though. Uh, Shadow of War is also very funny. There's a lot of great lines in it. And the orcs have these all these great lines when, when they're idle and they're talking to each other. Like, one, there's one instance in which one of them will tell the other that, you know, when you really think about it, carpentry is just like fi- fighting in battle. Oh, that's the other thing is Ratbag. So you have to watch the Let's Plays of Shadow of Mortar because of Ratbag, who is a funny, funny, funny character. Now I'm just thinking you should just play Shadow of Mordor and just get get it over with and then play Shadow of War. Because <laughs> Ratbag is hilarious. I'm going on and on and on about Shadow of War. See, I'm just, just eating up all this time. Uh, if you, uh, I'm not talking to TJ. I'm talking to people in front. If you haven't played the Shadow, the Middle Earth games, two things... It's Lord of the Rings, and it's made by Monolith, and they know what they're doing, and they know how to make a fighting game. They they took, like I said, they took Batman Arkham Asylum, and they took Assassin's Creed, and they just melded them together into Happy Baby. And then they added in the Nemesis system, which is, I I wish they didn't, I wish they hadn't copyrighted it, because I would have liked to see more games use that system. I really, I don't even, I don't know why it's legal. How can you leave, how can a gameplay mechanic like that? How can you make a copyright of it? I don't know. Anyways, uh, it's great. Um, you have to deal with Shadow of Mordor if you can. Let's play it. Let's play it. Um, Ratbag is a hilarious character. Um, he's a great foil for Italian. He's kind of dour during most of it. Um, 
But Shadow of War is a great, 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 great game. And one of these days, I'd like to see them remake Shadow of Mordor so that it's a lot more like Shadow of War, so that they're more par- there's a lot more parity between them. Like I said, uh, Shadow of Mordor was their experimentation. Shadow of War was everything they uh, looked up to. And then you have... Um, and then you have for, uh, for uh, not Michael Ford. He's the one who passed away. But um, uh, there's an orc that if you get killed, he rescues you. And he has this brilliant line as he walks off, you know, telling you some encouraging lines as he walks off. It's a really great, great uh, time when he saves you and you didn't expect it to happen. Hmm. And here's the thing. It's indiscriminate. He's like the mysterious stranger from Fallout 4. Um, I've seen him kill a legendary uh, overlord who's level 70, and he and for you will always be some 30 levels below. And it's like he did my job for me. Like getting a uh, getting a fort is the pe- is is your goal in all these regions. And he just said, no, 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 I'll take care of this. You died, but you know what? I'm gonna save you and. It's yours. It's like you'd think Monolith wouldn't let that happen. It would be like killing a final boss of a game, but the game does it because you failed. And it's a random thing. It's like a low percentage thing, but it happens. And every time he, he saves you, it's you feel good about it. You feel good. <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> Uh, look for our show notes at GamingPodcast.net, along with industry news and our gaming history articles. If you enjoy feedback, please comment at our blog at GamingPodcast.net. Also, it's up at Facebook.com slash GamingPodcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave some iTunes comments. You can find me on Twitter at Jonah Falcon. You can find me at Johnny Chugs. And you can find Scott as Shard No More. As he, We will see you next week. Happy gaming, everyone. Have fun. Be cool. Play games, y'all. And play Shadow of War. <laughs>